Hello and welcome to Ridgecrest Stories. My name is Lance Griffin. I'm the Recreation Minister at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. This is a podcast of Ridgecrest Baptist Church and today we are talking to Ray Jones, Senior Pastor. It could be a Sunday school teacher. It could be a mentor in the ministry. We all run into people that have tremendous influence on our lives. In this episode, Ray Jones looks back at his path to the ministry and reflects on some of the people that influenced him greatly and also talks about his philosophy in the ministry. I hope you'll enjoy this Ridgecrest Baptist Church podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ridgecrest Stories. This is a podcast of Ridgecrest Baptist Church that we hope will help you in your faith journey. The purpose of the podcast is to highlight people who are affiliated with Ridgecrest Baptist Church, either in a leadership role as as an administrator, as a pastor, or as in lay leadership as well. And we're beginning our conversations for this podcast with Ray Jones. He is the senior pastor here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And we're going to talk about his faith journey to kick off this podcast. Uh, Ray, I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Absolutely. Let's just start uh, first just by letting everyone know how long you have been the senior pastor here at Ridgecrest. Well, I've been here 18 years. Uh, In fact, February, I'm almost at my 19th 19th year anniversary, February, uh, I I guess the second week of February, be 19 years or starting my 20th year. I suppose in some ways it feels like it just happened, and then in some ways it feels like a lifetime. Yeah, it, you know, when you look back, it, it, uh, it's gone quickly. You know, we always look back and say, wow, it went fast. Uh, but it does. It feels like it's gone very fast, but it's been uh, 18 tremendous years. It's been so much fun, and uh, uh, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Speaking of how you got here, that's what I want to talk about uh, this this uh, podcast because I'm always fascinated by the different small things that happen in people's lives that often God uses to guide you where he wants you to go. So let's just start at the beginning. Tell me where you were born, where you grew up, and a little bit about your childhood. Well, uh, originally, Lance, I'm from Birmingham. Uh, and for those who are listening outside of the state about Birmingham, Alabama, and um, grew up uh, uh you know, with a family that was not uh, super active in church, they had seasons. My mom, in particular, had seasons of of uh, church activity. There's a little rural church that I went to when I would go, and then she made sure as we got older, my sisters and I would always be uh, in church, even if she and my father weren't. She made sure we went, and uh, it was there that uh, the Lord began to. Uh, work on my heart uh, as a junior boy, what we used to call junior boys. And at the age of 12, during a revival service uh, at our church, um, I recognized that I needed Christ as my Savior. And I remember that evening, I uh, went down the aisle, that's what we called it. And uh, I talked to the evangelist at the time, and he said, son, what are you doing? And I said, I want Jesus in my heart. And I remember uh, asking Christ to come into my heart and the funny thing about that whole story was, I, you know, I'm just a naive little kid, 12 years old. And and uh, as the service was wrapping up, he came over to where I was sitting and said, Son, would you like to testify? Well, I didn't know what testify meant. 
And I said, uh, and I had been moved. It was an emotional thing too for me. And I'd been moved. I said, yes, sir. I thought he just meant, do you want to, uh, you know, confess uh, Christ? And I said, yes, sir. And, uh, and so he went on as he was wrapping up the service. He says, now we have a young man here who wants to testify what happened to him this evening. And he, he called me up and then he handed me the microphone. And maybe that was the beginning of my ministry. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I just looked at people there. They were looking at me against a small rural church. And I said, all I know is that I need Jesus and I ask him to come in and be my savior. And I handed the mic back. And I kind of laugh at that now. I didn't know what that would lead to. But it was there that I began a new relationship with the Lord. I, I began to grow. Uh, I didn't know that's what it was called. And I had a pastor who, who really uh, spent time with me. Uh, in a rural congregation, you can do that a little bit better. And I lived on the next street from the church. He would take me fishing with him. Uh, he liked to fish, and he would take me out with him, and, and we would do that. I, I just uh, came to admire him so much, still do to this day. Um, but uh, somewhere in there, I recognized that God wanted me to to use my life. Well, actually what happened was I began to study my Bible. I just had this as a 12 year old and a 13 year old, I just had this great desire and hunger for the word of God. I would come home from uh, school and I would uh, sit in my room and I would study the word of God and read it. I didn't even know why. I just had a hunger for it. Had a notebook and I'd make notes to myself, made myself a little makeshift desk. I told you my mom and dad were not uh, overly active in the church, though somewhat my mom would be from time to time. And my mom came in to my room one night. I won't ever forget. I've been doing this for months. And she looked at me and she said, she said, son, do you think God wants you to do something special with your life? And when she did, Lance, something inside of me uh, jumped. And immediately I knew, yes, that's what this is all about. And I said, I think so, Mom. I hadn't processed it until she said that. God used her in that way to take me to that next step. She said, I think you ought to go and sit down and talk with our pastor. I did. And by this time, I'm 14 years old. And he says, Ray, he said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to preach. <laughs> I'm 14 years old. And it is a small rural congregation. But I knew this. I, that scared me to death. And I said to him, oh, no, I didn't know that's what this was about. I said, I can't do that. And he said, well, and we had a thing called training union in those days. And he said, well, would you teach a class? He was trying to help me, you know, as young as I was, he was still trying to help me process what might be going on. I said, yeah, I think I'll do that. And so I had a group of my peers, and um, I guess I was... Uh, early in high school, starting out by this time, I was starting early in high school. And uh, I had some good friends because they sat in there for six months and listened to me. And I must have tortured them trying to teach them uh, the scripture and that sort of thing. So that's a long way of saying that's how I got called to ministry. Uh, then began to set the, uh, the course for, for the ministry. And uh, that may be a good jumping off place. for. Uh, it, it made me wonder before 12 as a toddler, as a seven, eight-year-old, as you said, uh, not necessarily an active, active in church every once in a while. So when you, when faith things kind of crossed your path and you're trying to process it at that 
at that young age, you haven't yet asked Christ in your life, can you look back now and see that, that maybe the Lord was working on you then, or was that all still confusing to you at that time? Uh, you know, there's no question I think the Lord was working on me. I, I obviously didn't recognize that. Uh, I really enjoyed going to church. Again, we were a small church, and it was me and my friends. And um, you know, <laughs> some interesting stories. We we would go to our our Sunday school class, and uh, our teacher was a man named Mr. Hobbs, and um, he, he he was a, a very kind uh, man, and he loved us. He had to love us because we were hard to manage, you know, uh, and. Uh, uh, he would be teaching, and some of us in the back of the room, just for a joke, uh, would slip out the window. In those days, you opened the windows in the classrooms to keep it cool, and we would slip out the window without him seeing us and uh, run around behind the church, and then we'd come slip back in because of the way the room was set up. And so, uh, But I, I don't remember much that he taught Lance, and here's why I'm telling you that. Uh, we were just kind of rowdy little junior high boys. Not bad guys, just kind of junior high boys. But here's what I do remember through that. I knew this man loved us, and he cared about us. And I think God used that in some way to cause me to enjoy going to church. And because of that, um, God had me in a place where at the right time he could get my attention. And uh, so I always wanted to go to church, um, even before I knew Christ. So, yeah, I think God was probably, that was part of the process of God moving me to that place where one day I would kind of uh, come to the recognition that God wants something more of my life than just maybe the typical uh, uh, young person. When you went, do you remember the night that you asked Christ into your life? Was that just one of your occasional trips to church? Was there a special occasion that you were there that night? Do you yeah. remember that part? Yeah, uh, it was uh, It was a revival. And in those days, I still remember the revivalist. I remember his name. He was a, a, one of these, uh, the old-time revivalists who both did the music and the preaching. We were so small, We, I guess probably now as a pastor, I, can, I, I could look back and say, I didn't know it at the time, but we probably couldn't afford to bring in music and a preacher, so we brought in a guy who could do both. He he sang and he preached, and uh, and it was in a day where we did what we call extended revivals. So we would run, we would start on Sunday, we would go to Friday, we would take off on Saturday, we would go for another week beginning on Sunday. So the revivalists would be with us for two weeks. So and it was in in a day where Honestly, church was as much a social outlet to us as it was a spiritual experience. And I mean by that, we didn't have some of the things that today the modern generations have. We didn't have video games. We didn't have phones and computers. We didn't have uh, band camps and football camps and uh, all the sports stuff pulling at us and uh, you know all of these different things that now pull at people. We didn't have them. So... Church was our social outlet, too. So anytime there was something going on at the church, we looked forward to it because we knew there were going to be things like food there, there were going to, our friends were going to be there, and uh, we enjoyed the people, even the adults. So it was a social thing for us, but God knew that. 
and God was able to use that. So that that was that was the event. I looked for opportunities, even if my mom uh, and dad didn't go. I looked for opportunities to go to church, and so while this was a unique thing, it was still an opportunity for me to go be with my friends. Uh, I, and I liked I like worship, you know, and so uh, so that would give give some of the context about how I think God was able to get my attention. So your salvation experience was was. You were well aware that God had done something demonstrably big in your life. It was emotional for you. I know you didn't have all the answers at that point in time, but do you remember what the next few days were like at school with your friends and how you tried to talk to them about it? Yeah, in fact, uh, Lance, um, it was a powerful thing. And I'm a 12-year-old when I get saved, so I, I don't understand all of the dynamics of that, you know. I just knew that something had happened inside of me. And I won't ever forget the next day, uh, a friend of mine, we weren't in school, it was summertime, uh, a friend of mine, his name was Joy, he lived on the next street, and he came over to see me, we, we were buddies, we hung out uh, and played together, and he came over, and I remember sitting on, we had a little bitty front porch at my house, and it's the end of a dead-end street, and I remember Joy uh, came through some woods, he could get to my house, and he came over, and he had been there the night before, too. And he saw me go forward, and he saw me make that decision. And he sat down on my front porch, and he said, uh, tell me what happened, you know, something to that effect. Tell me what happened to you last night. And I began to explain as best I could. I had a little Gideon read New Testament. That was the Bible that I had. And I began to, to tell him uh how much I wanted to read my Bible now and what and how I had wanted Christ last night. I recognized that I needed Christ and that sort of thing. And while I'm talking to him about realizing I needed Christ, he begins to weep hmm. on the porch. And he said, I need to do that. I said, well, you need to come back tonight with me. And he did and he did. You know, I guess that was my first opportunity of sharing the gospel, but that's how perfect. I would have never thought about that before, but I told him, you need to do that too. And he, there he is weeping on my front porch with me. I don't know what, but I had, it had been emotional for me too, and uh, which isn't a requirement at all. It just was. But mm -hmm. God used that. And then my conversation with him to, um, to help him uh, make a similar kind of decision. Because your relationship with church up until your salvation experience at 12 was casual, do you find yourself kind of having a soft spot for people that come into the faith not necessarily having been born and raised in church? Oh, I do, uh, Lance. And, uh, you know, I share with our staff and briefly with our congregation. Just a week ago, I was able to lead to Christ a 17-year-old young man and it was so precious because he had no church background. And in fact, he'd come out of a very hard situation growing up as a young man and um, things that are just uh, horrific. And I won't even go into the family life that he is no longer with, but, but he came up through and he's a very uh, bright, intelligent young man. But I began to share the gospel with him. And he had come here. As a result, we had a, a special service to honor the military. And he'd come here. He, he heard uh, me preach, and it captured his attention. 
and he wanted to meet me. And so a friend introduced him and he hadn't been here previously. And he, he, uh, and then he came to see me and he said, when you were preaching, he said, you, he said, you love history, don't you? I said, well, actually I do very much. And he said, I do too. And he said, you were telling some stories when you were talking the night I came here. And he said, I was attracted to that. And so I began to talk to him. I said, let me tell you what was probably going on. That's the Holy Spirit uh, causing you to recognize that God has more for your life. And I said, could I t talk to you about what it means to know Christ? He said, I would, I would like that. And so I began to share the gospel. And here's where I'm going with that. Because he had no background in it, which is a rare thing in South Alabama. But because he, had, he was so honest and pure-hearted, I, I explained the gospel. I mean, from the basic level, Christ dying on the cross. And then I moved to, uh, to grace. And he said this to me. He said, could you explain grace to me? You know, down here you say grace and you just everybody says, oh, yeah, I got it. But he said, could you explain grace to me? And I explained to him it's salvation apart from our works and it's a gift of God and that we receive it by faith. We receive this gift by faith. It's great, a gracious act from God. He said, faith. Now, could you explain that to me, the faith thing to me? So my point is, it was so, it's one of the most joyful um, witnessing encounters that as a pastor I've had in years because he was so pure-hearted had, didn't have this background, Lance, that we so often see, as you well know. Uh, and, uh, and so he was eager just to hear the story. And I thought back, you mentioned, did, does it give me a soft? I thought back to my experience and to my buddy Joy and his experience uh, where we're just so naive about what it all was, but so hungry for it and the work of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, I do. I love I love sharing uh, with folks that are just hungry and don't really have a background to try to to try to sometimes skew what they really need. When you think back to the New Testament and the birth of Christianity, I, I don't think I'm taking liberties here with Scripture, but it 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 appears that the easiest people to to see their need for Christ were the people without a strong religious background maybe there's some parallels today yeah and i think i think that's true uh, uh you know we have so much what we we refer to as cultural christianity it is i know who god is i uh, i believe that jesus existed i be even believe he died on the cross but it's an intellectual kind of belief it is not a a personal uh, uh inner man reception of that that knowledge that transforms a life and uh, unfortunately I, I'm afraid and that there are too many people in our Bible Belt kind of culture who have confused that with genuine Christianity where the life is transformed by our belief not just uh, kind of a all-american kind of values uh, system if, if that makes sense no it does now you're you're, you're saved at 12. Uh, you, you don't know exactly what all that means, but you're definitely changed. You have a hunger for the Word. Your mother speaks in, into your life at 14, and that's when the light bulb goes on that, that you are um, surrendering to a call at that time. What are the next few years like before that actually comes to, 
fruition? Well, they're growing uh, times for me. And I still, that hunger for God's word, Lance, was there still. And I'm, I'm just taking in massive amounts of God's word. I just, I just loved it. Um, and then God brings the right people around you. Um, my, I've already mentioned the pastor of that little church who um, didn't so much disciple me, but he just uh, he took me with him. And I just being with him, you know, a lot of mentoring is just being around the right kind of people. And then God brought some people, as I progressed in high school, he brought some people around me from Campus Crusade for Christ. And they began to pull me off and, and spend discipleship time, investing in me, uh, discipling me. And uh, that became invaluable. I already knew the call of God was on my life. But they began to put the uh, kind of the, the core things into my life uh, about uh, teaching me specifically how to become a witness for God, teaching me how to be sure of my salvation, teaching me... Uh, uh, in more detail, how to have a quiet time and spend uh, time with God, uh, how to pray. Uh, they they kind of, they mentored me in these things, and I met weekly uh, with uh, these guys, and that was instrumental at an early stage in my relationship with God for securing in my heart what God had already done, and uh, so that became very powerful. In in now. From there, I moved to that point where I began to say, God, when can I serve in some some ministry capacity? I served on, uh, later on would serve some, what they called the high school staff, a campus crusade for Christ in the Birmingham area. And then from there, I began to say, God, I, I know you want me to serve in a, in a church. And uh, I began to pray, God, at the right time, open those doors, open those doors. Now, I must admit, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was wanting and ready, I thought, God knew better, uh, for to go serve some small church, not as a pastor, but just like a, a student minister, that sort of thing. But no doors were opening. No doors were opening. And I, I proceeded on into college, and still no doors were opening. And I began to get impatient. God, why aren't you opening doors for me? I, I'm, I'm ready, and there are lots of churches that need... Uh, you know, uh, uh, guys to help them with student ministry and that sort of thing. But no doors were opening. But that's that's how I progressed from the point of my call to the point of God. When when do, can I begin to serve you uh, in a in a more a more quasi vocational way? When you look back on your your first pastorate. Now that you've had this many years of experience, what do you think about that guy? You mean that early guy? Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I think this. He, he thought he knew a lot more than he did. And thank God that God knows uh, the clock and the calendar better than we do. God was still equipping me. God was still building me. God was teaching me to wait on him. But I'm young. I have zeal for the Lord. Uh, and I interpreted zeal to mean, God, let me do something right now. But God was still getting me ready uh, to do the things, uh, ministry, vocationally, that he had called me to. Uh, so now I look back and say I was terribly naive and, 
and far more convinced of that that I knew more than I did. What other than than the big picture there that that God was teaching you that you had a lot more to learn? What else was He teaching you there? Tell me a little bit about that first church and if you could go back and and do that again, what might you do differently? Well, you mean my first church period, the first one I ever served in? Yeah. Um, I, I served as a student pastor in a little coal mining community, and uh, he was he was teaching me uh, to that I was going to have to trust him. Uh, that zeal was not enough. I, the most I've been asked this question before over the years in various kind of panel discussions where I would be on a panel and uh, pastors would ask what uh, questions. And one of the questions I've been asked: What is the most surprising thing to you in ministry? And this is when I discovered I discovered it in my first little church. And what I discovered was, and they were great people. They were kind of people. I was a college student, and they were kind of struggling financially and everything. And, you know, they woke up here once in a while on Sunday, and somebody shake my hand put a $20 bill. And in those days, $20 bills were, were like $50, you know, and they'd put a $20 bill in my hand or something. And they paid me a small little part-time salary. But it just, it meant so much. They loved me. But what I learned during that time, uh, they were very traditional and very set, and I just assumed when I went in there, because I had this zeal for the Lord, I assumed everybody had that zeal for the Lord. And so I kind of thought like this, well, if I stand up and say, let's do this for Jesus, everybody would jump up and say, let's go. <laughs> and I found out they don't. And it surprised me uh, uh, because I guess of naivete, uh, thinking everybody here loves Jesus the same way. That didn't mean I was super spiritual. It just meant I thought, Jesus, you stand up and say, Jesus wants us to do this, and everybody says, and what are we waiting on? But it wasn't true. I found it. And so the Lord was teaching me that I, that I had to trust him, uh, which is a lesson he still reiterates in my life, uh, especially as it relates to uh, ministry and, and serving people. That especially right into the ministry has to be a discouraging thing at the beginning to understand that not everybody is going to be on the same zeal level. He was teaching you to trust him, but that was pretty difficult at the time, wasn't it? It was very difficult. Again, it was, uh, uh, as I said on panel discussions before, it was kind of a disillusioning thing for me. Uh, and it kind of, it kind of, it's one of those things where you, it's like you ran into a wall and you, you, you're trying to figure out, God, why don't they want to? Now, the assumption is I always knew the right thing to do, which is a false assumption too, but it, it was a bit disillusioning for me and because I just I thought, wow, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. But uh, I didn't think they didn't love me. It, it, I didn't take it as rejection, thank God. You know, some people, I guess, would have taken it as personal rejection. I didn't. I knew they loved me. Uh, and a classic example is um, the handful of times that I would preach when the, the lead pastor was not there, it was an old day, and I'd get up, and the only way I know how to describe it to our audience, I'd just sling snot everywhere and pound my fist in the pulpit and stomp and run around, and, and you know, and I had everybody go in the congregation headed to hell, you know. <laughs> And they just listened, and they were so patient. And I won't ever forget, one of the, the men uh, named Ernie came up to me one night after I had preached, and he put his arm around me. He said, now, he said, 
Now, son, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, you can preach that way to us because we love you, but you can't do that to everybody. <laughs> and, and the Lord used that to, to teach me some things there as well. So I never felt rejected, okay? I just felt shock that, oh, I thought everybody just, I thought they bring you here to, to lead something for Jesus, and then when you try to lead for Jesus, they say, no, we're not going to go, we're not going to follow that. But I never took it personally. I never felt rejected. I felt loved from them. And really, and when I look back and think about how I preached at them, and that's the right term, preached at them, uh, they really did love me. <laughs> Do you remember if you had anybody speak into your life before then to say, hey, Ray, you may, you may think that this is going to go one way, but be prepared that not everybody is going to be where you are. Or was that just something you ended up having to learn through experience? Yeah, I just learned it. I, it just, I had nobody. Nobody came alongside and said, now, here's some things I want you to learn. Um, and uh, nobody did that. I, it was the proverbial running into the brick wall and thinking, "Oh, I didn't. I thought I thought churches were different, you know, about Jesus." Again, if you say Jesus wants us to do something, every you know that expect. So I just kind of ran the wall. I had nobody. Mm -mm. Would it have been better if somebody had, or do you think you're better for having learned it on your own? That's a good question. I've never thought about that, but just my initial response is, I actually like the way it happened. Um, I'm afraid if some, if somebody had to try to tell it to me, I, I may have uh, gone in kind of with that jaded look at the people already. They're not going to follow me kind of thing. Because I didn't go in that way, um, it, it, was a, it was a shocker but I didn't, my eyes weren't jaded toward them at the start. And because, as I said, I did feel loved by these people, that mitigated the shock, if that makes sense. Now, if I had to run into that without anybody speaking into my life about it, any warning, and they had, had been harsh people that didn't treat me with compassion and love, that probably would have been a different story. And then I might say, I wish somebody had of talked to me on the front front end. You went on to serve in different capacities at different churches, a student pastor, executive pastor. Talk about a couple of people in in your life that you encountered that had a tremendous impact on your ministry. Well, no one has had a greater impact on my ministry than the guy that I, I consider the chief mentor in my life. His name's Bill Anderson. You've heard me talk about him. He's still alive out in Texas. We still talk frequently. Uh, we became dear friends, our dear friends, but it, it's, uh, it's a Jonathan David kind of thing in, in the Old Testament. I mean, our hearts were knit together from the day we first met, um, and uh, uh, Bill Anderson was the man that God, I thought God, well, God took me to Florida to, to serve and some, do some things he wanted me to do. But I firmly believe part of that included be becoming an aide and a right hand to him. Uh, and uh, there's no one that God has used to shape my ministry. The ministry 
that we have here uh, has been deeply shaped by his influence in my life. Watching this man, a great godly man, great integrity, watching how he led uh, and uh, how he uh, studied the Word of God. All of those things were so influential in helping me know how to adequately lead a staff and how to lead a congregation of people. So um, the, that first pastor was huge just because he spent time with me. But Bill Anderson became the chief among all the mentors that I've had in terms of influence. No one, uh, aside from the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, has been more instrumental in helping me. And he didn't say, now I'm going to teach you how to do, or it was nothing like that. In fact, if you were probably to ask him, talk about your relationship with Ray Jones, he would say, he's one of my dearest friends. That's what he would probably say. That's true, but he's more than a dear friend to me. He is you know, the chief mentor aside from the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. So, uh, yeah, he, he would be the one. I don't think I could do what I do. I don't think I could pastor a congregation this size. I don't think I could have pastored a growing congregation in St. Petersburg had it not been for his influence in my life. And you were under him from when to when? Uh, uh, let's see, from 1985 until uh, 1997, I was with him for 12 years. And then I went from there, I was executive pastor, and he entrusted, we were a congregation of 6,000 members, and he entrusted great, great responsibility. He was that kind of guy uh, to me. Um, and uh, I left there and moved down the road about 10 miles to St. Petersburg. And that's where I took my first uh, senior pastor role. How different is it in the culture pastoring in 2019 than it was just before the turn of the turn of the century when you were first pastoring, senior pastor? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, if you had told me we'd be dealing with some of the kinds of things that we're dealing with in the church uh, today that I was dealing with in my first pastorate, I would have thought, this, there's no way. The culture has changed so dramatically. The hostility toward Christianity in the culture has changed dramatically. The lack of reverence just for the idea of God is so different the sporadic attendance of active members is so different uh, than it was. The, uh, the need for security, uh, we, didn't, we'd never, we never even thought about those kinds of things. There, there was still a, the sacred idea of the church. Even the worst people in the culture never ever considered doing something uh, to the church or in the church that was sacrilegious or criminal because it was still the church. All of that kind of stuff has changed. The, the fact that the church in today's culture is a part of life, it doesn't shape life like it did years ago. Uh, the disengagement from the Bible or biblical illiteracy is greater than it's ever been. Uh, and uh, so it has created challenges for us uh, that back then, um, 
they were there, but not on the scale that they're on right now. So there's so many more things to to deal with than than you had to deal with early on. But you also, as you have grown in the ministry, have more tools in your toolbox than you did early on as well. How do you feel you have most changed since the time you talked about um, slinging snot and preaching at people in your first first sermon as you when you were a student pastor? But how have you changed the most as a pastor and as a person since you have been in the ministry? Well, you know, hopefully I've become more competent with the Word of God. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I hope that's true. I think it is. Uh, but I think I've changed because as a pastor, the longer you shepherd, the more your heart uh, is bent toward your sheep. And so you have this compassion for your sheep. Now, occasionally you have to, uh, if I can use the word, scold the sheep, kind of. But you don't beat the sheep up all. They can't take it. You can't beat them up every time. You know, and I, I learned that fairly early, I think. I had an evangelist that you know, and he told me one time, I hadn't been here but a few years, but he said, thank you for helping me realize that I don't have to beat the people up every time I preach. And uh, my preaching has probably evolved more to a teaching style, uh, a preaching teaching style, uh, and, and probably I've become more focused on equipping the sheep. You know, Paul says we equip the, the uh, believers to do the work of ministry. Um, but um, I think you have a softer, I know particularly for me now, 18 years in this place, uh, my, my love for the sheep is so much greater than it was when I came here 18 years ago. That doesn't mean I didn't love them, but I loved them on the big picture. I, after 18 years, you love the, the individual sheep, you know? Uh, that doesn't mean you... You know, the individual sheep have been perfected. They're not, just like their pastor isn't. But it means you, you for example, so if somebody picks on my sheep, uh, it's one thing for me to pick on them, but don't you pick on them. They're my sheep. You know, they're Jesus's sheep ultimately, but he's given me this, this thing. And so uh, those are the things that I have seen where the Lord has grown me is in in loving the sheep. And Somebody said, you know, we when you got this many people in the congregation, you've always got people that are dying and going on to heaven. And somebody asked me about a year or so ago, said, I bet you get used to this. You do a lot of funerals and you get used to this. I know, I never get used to this. I said, it's another one of the sheep. It's one of the sheep God's entrusted in my care. I said, I don't care how many times you do it. You just never. And that's because it, there's something, it's personal. You may not even know them at great depth. But it's still, they're your flock, and they're your sheep, and you've been entrusted their care. And when you lose one, uh, it's, it's still, it affects you inside, you know. So those are some of the things that I've learned. But how to, look, when you first start preaching, you talk at people. And uh, as you progress, I think the second level is you talk uh, to people. And then I hopefully I'm at a place where, uh, I'm talking with the people kind of thing. And that's each each one moves a l relational level up, I think. So uh, and they know what and they know how to listen to me now, and I know how they listen. Uh, so those are some things that you learn, I think. 
What concerns you most as a pastor when you start thinking about five, ten years down the road and challenges the church faces? Well, to be honest with you, what I see in the culture scares me to death because of its influence upon the church. I also am, uh, I, I'm, I'll be candid and say I'm afraid uh, of the loss of religious liberties that, I, that appear to be coming. Uh, in this culture, you know, you've been here long enough to know that I've said for 10 years there are things coming uh, that we're going to have to deal with, and we're going to find out it's going to be a dividing line, I think, culturally and spiritually. Uh, and uh, we're going to have to be prepared to to be loving and kind, but to say, uh, as Martin Luther said, you know, my conscience is taken captive by the Word of God. Uh, this is all I can do. I, I'm going to stand right here with the Word of God. My goal isn't to antagonize, but it is to say I, I must remain, i.e., all of us, uh, we must maintain our fidelity to the Word of God. Uh, I'm, I'm spooked about what I see happening in the culture. I think it's going to get hard for us, Lance. I think, um, I think there is a kind of social persecution uh, that the American church is heading into. That we already see glimpses of it. Uh, I think the next wave, I think there will be a greater social persecution. I think there will be from that an economic kind of persecution. And I think from there we'll eventually see legal uh, persecution. I don't know if we'll have genuine physical persecution, at least not for a long time. But if the Lord Jesus does not return, I think we're going to see social ostracization and persecution. It'll be socially unpopular, economic persecution, and eventually legal uh, persecution. I don't know if this is the right way to ask that or not, but do you think maybe the church needs something like that to toughen the church up? Well, um, that's a good question. I think that my answer is, is yes, but hopefully not. <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, there's an old saying, Lance, that it goes way back in, in our ancient Christian history that says, the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. In the greatest seasons of persecution, historically, the church has, hasn't declined, it's grown. I think it is conceivable that, that what I'm talking about, the social and the economic stuff, we may see a winnowing out of superficial or cultural Christianity, but we may actually see a blossoming of that genuine faith and that becomes very attractive then to those outside who are seeing the bankruptcy and the, the difficulty of living in this culture. A couple of last things because the whole idea of Ridgecrest Stories is kind of to look back and see how God has shaped you and who you've become when you think about your Sunday school teacher, Mr. Hobbs, the pastor at the church where you were saved, your mother, Bill Anderson, others who have, who have shaped your life. Is it, it's sort of amazing when you think about just how God was orchestrating things from the beginning. Do you think about that sometimes? I think about it a lot, Lance. Uh, yeah, I preached a message a few months ago on the providence of God, how, how rarely do we understand what God is doing in the moment. But 
we can look back and put those moments together and suddenly what might have been a difficult thing or an unusual relationship or connection that was made and suddenly we start looking back and we go, oh, now I see what God was doing. He was taking me there so he could take me here. He took me here to teach me this so he could take me here. And we start connecting the dots. It's hard to do in the, the, with the present stuff but we'll get on down the road and we'll look back and say, oh, that was about this and this and this. And that's a wonderful thing about a God who knows our past, present, and he knows our future, which is why we can trust him about tomorrow because we can look back and see what he has done before. You know, David teaches us that. You remember on the occasion when he was about to face Goliath and he makes this statement, he says, the same God, who in the past delivered me from the paw of the bear and the, the teeth of the lion, that God will deliver him into my hand as well. His past, the hand of God orchestrating his past, he recognized, enabled him to trust God for his tomorrows. And I don't think there's any question when I look back. When I look back from what I came from and, and what God has done, I am amazed. I am humbled. I cannot believe how good God has been to me, but I would have never thought that as a 12-year-old boy, as a 14-year-old called to ministry, I never knew what God would do and the places he would allow me to go and serve him and the people that he would bring across my path and the joy that he would bring as I would see him uh, cause people to come to Christ in different places in different ways. Yeah, I think about it a lot. And there are times when in some season of discouragement, I look back, Lance, and I think, wait a minute. Look at all that God has done. Yeah, you know, and like David would say, oh, so why are you downcast? Why are you downcast? Because of who God has been in the past, you can trust him for who he will be down the road. So yeah, and, and it, it actually strengthens uh, my, my sense of call and um, it, it strengthens my resolve uh, to trust him. Final question. Somebody may be listening and all they know about Ridgecrest is that that's, that's the, the big old church with the billboards and, and they may be wondering, I've never been and I've always, always wondered what Ridgecrest is about. If you wanted to speak to that person, what would you tell them Ridgecrest is about? Well, first of all, we're about honoring the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaiming uh, his name and his message. That's why we exist. Um, and uh, that's the, the commitment that we have. We have, as you know, three things, reach, build, connect, reach uh, those who do not know Christ and help them come to understand his love. Then connect people um, uh, in, in a growing relationship with him after they've come to Christ and then build uh, the believer and uh, uh, build them up in the faith, help them understand their purpose, connect those dots for them. Uh, we believe that's our mission. But I would tell a person who does see the bigness and says, oh, wow, you know, I tell them what I've heard time and time again, heard it again just a couple of weeks ago uh, from a family that came here. They didn't have a church. They were looking for a church. They were believers. They said, we, we drove past here so many times, but we thought that's just too big for us. And they said, we finally came, and what we found out was it didn't feel like we thought it was going to feel at all. 
and the people were so friendly and so kind and we felt so received. I've had people tell me for 18 years, we came, we were hesitant, but we came and once we came, we never, we never went beyond this place. Uh, that's not to say uh, they're not good churches, other good churches, that's not what I mean. But don't let the size uh, fool you. This is a very personal and loving congregation of people. We're not perfect, and I'm not a perfect pastor, but we are a healthy congregation. We love new people. And so if you don't have a church home, come and visit with us. And uh, I'd like to meet you personally. And so come and visit with us and uh, just see what God's up to here at this place. Ray Jones, Senior Pastor, Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Thanks for sharing with us. And thank you for listening to the first installment of Ridgecrest Stories. Thank you.